All right, Acts chapter 10. So we're looking at verses 1 to 33, which is on page 778, if you're using the Bibles in the seats. And today we're continuing the story of the spread of the movement uh, of those who follow Jesus, first in Jerusalem, and then as we saw in Judea and Samaria, And now we're going to begin to see how the mission spread beyond the Jewish world uh, to the broader Roman Empire and to the ends of the earth. Whenever God's mission goes forth and spreads and takes new territory like this, it's never easy. It's never smooth. There are always roadblocks and, and barriers to be faced and to be overcome all the way. And in today's story, we see that many of those roadblocks to God's mission are inside of us. In today's story, these barriers are inside of Peter, the apostle. The one about whom Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. The one to whom Jesus said, I will give the keys to my kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth, Peter, will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. Peter, we saw last week, is walking in the ways of Jesus. He's growing in the competencies of Jesus. So much so we saw that that he's doing the things Jesus did, even to the point of healing crippled paralytics and raising the dead to life. But nevertheless, Peter's got roadblocks inside of him. And so for Peter to unlock the kingdom doors so it can spread beyond his own Jewish culture and his own Jewish people, something is going to have to unlock inside of Peter. There's a barrier, there's a roadblock that's going to have to be removed and God takes the gracious initiative to remove it in today's story. Let's recall the story. Peter is in Joppa where he, we saw last week, had raised Tabitha from the dead. He's staying there. It's a seaside town. He's, he's a guest in the home of a man named Simon, whose job is tanning hides, turning the skin of dead cows, sheep, and goats into usable leather. It was a very smelly job. It was a disgusting job. So much so that you did not want to be Simon's neighbor. The smell of death and of chemicals and of chemical processes was everywhere in the air. And so people like Simon the Tanner, uh, historians tell us, were considered low class. They were pushed to the margins of society. And by many Jews, they were considered to be unclean and undesirable. After all, they dealt with dead animals. And that is the context in which we find Peter and in which today's story begins. In other words, Peter isn't a very good Jew in some ways. When it comes to the expectations of those who were serious about holiness, who were careful to avoid making themselves unclean, Peter is lax in their eyes. Peter is not devout. Last week at the end of chapter 9, we saw Peter waltz into an unclean room with a corpse in it. Now he's staying at the house of a tanner. Whether Peter was always lax, I don't know, but he'd hung around Jesus who had let his disciples eat without washing their hands, something a serious Jew would never do on religious grounds. 
And then Jesus defended his disciples for doing so, saying, it isn't what goes into your body that makes you unclean. It's what comes out, your words, your actions that make you unclean. This was a radical new idea, and it had only partly registered for Peter. As is often the case when God is radically rewiring a conviction in us that needs to change. Often that change happens in stages. The barriers come down not all at once, but a bit at a time. Well, unbeknownst to Peter at Simon the Tanner's house, God is on the move about to do something big, and it's happening 30 miles to the north in another seaside town called Caesarea, as in Caesarea. Named after Caesar, the headquarters of the Roman governor who ruled over Jerusalem and Judea, who oppressed God's people from those headquarters through the brutal use of taxes and Roman troops. But the big thing God is doing to catapult his mission forward is happening of all places in the home and life of a commander of those Roman troops. A centurion named Cornelius, which is a very Roman name, in charge of 60 to 100 soldiers of the occupying force. Cornelius isn't your average Roman soldier, though. He's actually one, of, uh, one who, for, for some time evidently, had been quite attracted to the God of the Jews. He's prayed to this God regularly. He's given financially to help those who are poor. Getting to know God, the God of the Jewish people will do that to you. It will change your heart. It'll change your life. It'll change your priorities. It'll change your finances. In fact, if following Jesus hasn't significantly impacted the way you spend your money yet, then you're only getting started on your journey with Jesus. Well, God has already changed the Romans and Cornelius in remarkable ways. And so the Jews would have had a certain respect and admiration for this man from a distance. He was not one of them by any means. He was still a non-Jew. He was still a Gentile. Viewed as unclean, viewed as other, to the extent that, as Peter says later, Jews wouldn't visit Cornelius in his home or sit down and eat a meal with him. They'd rather keep their distance as much as possible. Why? Well, do you remember when you were about eight years old how members of the opposite sex had cooties? You, you didn't hang out with them. You didn't touch them. Because otherwise, you might get cooties and you might be teased by your friends. Well, that and more was how Jews felt toward Gentiles. Why? Because Gentiles were unclean. They were pagan, for, for starters. They ate gross food. The, the food that, that shouldn't be touched, let alone put in your mouth. And Gentiles worshipped idols, pagan gods, evil, demonic spirits. In fact, as a Roman soldier, Cornelius would have had sworn a sacred oath to the emperor who was beginning to be worshipped at that time. And Cornelius would have participated in pagan religious activities which were part of every Roman troop's life as part of their um, allegiance to Caesar and the Roman Empire. These were the days before church and state. 
you were expected in the army to worship the gods of Rome as a sign of your allegiance. In fact, Roman soldiers carried standards which displayed idolatrous images of the god Jupiter and the emperor himself on their tops. So physically, morally, socially, in every way, Gentiles like Cornelius were gross, they were dirty, they were unclean, and and to touch them or their food or their stuff would make you unclean if you were a Jew. Are you beginning to see the the barriers that, that existed to these folks being invited in to become part of God's people as equal participants? Are there people today that, that we, that, that you might want to hold at arm's length and not invite in close? Well, this is Cornelius. Even though he's attracted to the Jewish God and honors the Jewish God with prayers and with generous care for the poor, even though many Jews felt someone like Cornelius in the end would escape hell and, and um, have an eternal life, because he'd done well with the limited knowledge that God had, had given him, that he had, D- despite all this, in this lifetime, Cornelius was still unclean. His food was unclean. His house was unclean. But God comes to Cornelius. God sends an angel to him. And the angel says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. This language of memorial offering is often used of sacrifices at the Jewish temple in the Old Testament, which of course the Jewish temple was strictly off limits to a Gentile like Cornelius in terms of of making an offering there. So it's almost as if Cornelius has worshipped God in the only way that he could and God is pleased with it and so God accepts it as God would an offering by a Jew in God's temple. And so the angel continues, Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. And that's it. That's all the angel gives Cornelius. Bring this guy, Simon Peter, to your house. He'll tell you what you need to know. Who knows if Cornelius has ever even heard of Simon Peter or has any idea who he is. Notice again something we saw back in December when we met a guy named Saul and we saw how Jesus worked radically in his life to transform him from a passionate destroyer of Jesus' followers to a passionate spokesman for Jesus. We saw that even though Jesus could have done that work in Saul all by himself, even though Jesus showed up personally and powerfully and met Saul face to face, Jesus still chose to involve other humans, other followers of his in the process of Saul's conversion. In this case, in Saul's case, it was a guy named Ananias. Jesus always wants to involve his followers in what he's doing. And here, in today's story, Jesus wants to involve Peter in Cornelius' transformation. Well, the angelic vision is enough to raise Cornelius' expectations and to get him moving. He's had a message from one of God's own heavenly messengers, an angel. How many people has that happened to? (laughs) This Simon Peter must be going to have something important to say. 
So Cornelius sends three messengers at once on this important mission. Meanwhile, the next day, as the messengers are traveling, back in Joppa, at the smelly house of the tanner, it's lunchtime, and Peter's hungry. Yeah, you feel the tension of that, right? (laughs) He waits for food, and, and while he does, he goes up on the roof to pray. He's spending time with God, and he has a vision. In fact, both Peter and Cornelius have their encounters while they're praying. Interesting. Keep spending that time with God. Peter has an apocalyptic vision. He he sees heaven opened. That's what apocalypse means. It means unveiling, uncovering, opening, disclosing. Peter sees heaven opened. And from heaven comes down a sheet full of animals. All kinds of animals. Not only the ones Peter is used to eating, like sheep and goats and chickens, but also the kind Peter would absolutely never dream of eating. Maybe things like pigs or dogs or vultures or rats. If you weren't raised in a religious home with religious food laws like I was, but that's a whole other story. I don't know if you can really understand what it's like to have drummed into you your whole life by everyone close to you that certain foods are unclean, defiled, nasty, gross, taboo. Don't ever eat them. It's in the Bible, right? If you're Peter, the Old Testament, that's your Bible. Leviticus 11. Eating them makes you unclean, defiled, it's sinful, it's against God's command. Let me just try to help you understand what this feels like for Peter. Imagine a new neighbor moves into town, Halloween comes, they invite you over for dinner. And you come over, you sit down at their table, and they come out of the kitchen dressed all in black, with black makeup on, And they're carrying a platter with a dead animal on it. Maybe a cat, maybe a dog, raw, bloody. And they put it down before you to share with them. They've just sacrificed it to Satan in a ritual. How does that feel? (laughs) That feeling, that reaction is the reaction Peter would have at the thought of eating some of the animals on this sheet. Just the thought of eating some of the foods which God has offered him from heaven would probably make Peter feel sick to his stomach, literally. So Peter is shocked and repulsed. Surely not, Lord, he replies. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. But a voice from heaven responds, Do not call anything impure which God has made clean. Now let me ask you, from Peter's perspective, how could this be the voice of God? Right in God's word, God told his people never to eat unclean meats like this. Leviticus 11. And in Peter's culture, only pagans ate those kind of meats. And very often they served them after the animal had been sacrificed to a pagan god. That was a common part of the culture. And now this voice is is contradicting God's word or overturning it. 
Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. How can this be? I'm sure Peter could barely believe it. So then it happens again. The whole thing. The sheet. The unclean animals. The voice telling Peter to eat. Peter's reaction. Surely not, Lord. God overturning his word seemingly. And then it all happens a third time. Again. And then the vision is over. And Peter is puzzled. No doubt disturbed. What is this? This this disturbing vision. How, How could it be? What does it mean? Surely it can't mean what it seems to mean. How could God contradict God's own word and and tell Peter to eat something that's against God's will to eat? Well, in the providence of God's timing, at this very moment, the messengers from Cornelius arrive. They can't presume to walk up to a Jewish house. They're unclean pagans, right? So they're out at the street calling. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. Again, saying something Peter's not expecting to hear. Which, by the way, if you're ever wondering how to discern God's voice from your own imagination, one, one aspect of it is ask, is this something that I'd probably tell myself? Is it the sort of inner voice, inner thoughts that naturally play in my head already? Or is it something that I probably wouldn't think? If it is, you, it might be coming from outside of you. Well, in the case of, of, of Peter here, the, the Spirit says to Peter, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, and don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter goes with them. He's beginning to put two and two together to to figure out what the vision means. The vision three times, three men, the timing. And what was the main reason that Jews and Gentiles didn't interact? It had to do with food. With, With the practical and cultural challenges, excuse me, of eating together. Since any food a Gentile might serve a Jew might be unclean, it might be prepared wrong, it it might have been sacrificed to an idol. Food kept Jews and Gentiles apart. It was a huge barrier. And now here is this vision about food saying, don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. And don't hesitate to go with these Gentile men. I have sent them. So Peter goes. And after a two-day, 30-mile walk, Peter and the others arrive at Cornelius' house. A few other believers went along with Peter. They're witnesses to what's unfolding here, which will be important later in the story. And when Peter gets there to Caesarea, the first thing that hits him is another reminder of why Jews don't associate with pagan Gentiles. And that is that Cornelius falls down at his feet to worship him, to reverence him, depending on your translation. This is pagan, idolatrous, Gentile behavior. (laughs) You see, the Romans believed in in gods and demigods that that humans could be divinized. And so heroes and and respected leaders, Caesar and others, were sometimes worshipped. All of which (laughs) is is absolutely abhorrent and scandalous to any good Jew who knows there's only one God whom we worship and serve alone. So Peter says, stand up, I'm only a man myself. We're not starting off on a good foot here. (laughs) 
But there's more. There's a whole house full of pagan, Gentile, unclean people. Cornelius has called together all of his relatives, all of his close friends. He'd been visited by an angel. He's expecting something big, something momentous, something life-changing to happen. And he's invited all his close contacts to be part of it. Peter has a significant audience waiting for him. All these people prepared for an important word from the God of the Jews, the God that at least some of them already worshipped and respected. Who knows if all of them did. Some of them at least have, have learned a bit about this God, but all of them have much to learn. So, so what does Peter do? Well, he does something he very likely has been told all of his life a godly man would never do. He enters this pagan home, this Gentile house. This house of the enemy, the Roman oppressors no less. This house where very likely archaeologists tell us there is or there would have been uh, previously a household idol in the main room which would be worshipped by the family. And this is the room where all these pagan unclean people are, the largest room of the house. So Peter goes in among them. He steps into the unclean. He's following God's leading, this new word that seems to contradict his scriptures, no less. This word that Peter should not consider anything unclean that God has called clean. Are you beginning to see the barriers in Peter which stand in the way of God's mission here? And how God is carefully, intentionally, systematically dismantling these barriers. Sometimes there are aspects of our religion which have to die for us to be faithful to the true and living God and to know God in a deeper and new way. And often it's when we step out with God on mission that God leads us into letting go of these religious trappings. There are always roadblocks to God's mission. And often those barriers are inside of us. So question, are you open? Or in fear, do you hide from God behind your religion? I love the language that Bill Hybels once used in his evangelism training called Walk Across the Room. He said, we have to leave our circle of comfort and walk across the room into the zone of the unknown. That's what Peter does in faith, in obedience, into the midst of this gathered, eager crowd, which Peter didn't have to gather. Cornelius, an unclean pagan, gathered them. (laughs) And rather than sense a temptation or a threat, Peter senses an opportunity for mission. He senses that God is at work, doing something new, teaching him something new here. Not that it's easy for Peter. Peter articulates honestly, if not tactfully, what's going on inside of him. Verse 28, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Why, may I ask, have you sent for me? Peter still isn't quite sure why he's there. 
He knows he's supposed to tell them something and to be with them, but like any good communicator, he listens before he speaks. He seeks to know his audience, their questions, their concerns. And so Cornelius tells him again his his experience, his angelic visitation. By the way, I think this is the third time in this story where we hear how an angel visited Cornelius. Has it ever frustrated you about Acts or, or other books in the Bible that they repeat the same thing over and over again? It's going to happen later in the story of, of Saul's conversion. Three times it'll be repeated. Luke does this, and a lot of ancient authors did this to stress that this is important. Get this. Don't miss it. So it's repeated so that we pay attention. Here it is again, starting in verse 30. Three days ago, Cornelius recounts, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So Cornelius says, I I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So that's where we'll end the story for today. With an eager audience, an encounter that God has set up, sending angels, giving visions, speaking by the Holy Spirit, to set up this moment, this moment of potential breakthrough for God's mission. As Christianity is about to jump from being basically a flavor, a new version of Jewish religion, to to becoming a whole new world-changing possibility for the ends of the earth. We'll see next week how it unfolds. But for now, let's pay attention to what God is doing in and to Peter here. There are always roadblocks in the way of God's mission. And often the biggest roadblocks are inside of us. Inside of Peter here, inside of us today. What roadblocks are inside of you and me? I'll tell you about me. You know, I, I like to think of myself as, as pretty open and accepting of everyone. and Not that I agree with everyone's beliefs or behavior or lifestyle choices, but that I can look past those and I can see another person made in God's image who, who deserves kindness and respect, who, who needs to know that God loves them, that Jesus came for them. And who's no worse than me because I am what I am because God has had heaps of grace and mercy on me. I like to think I'm that way, but if I'm really honest, there are people who make me feel uncomfortable. They talk about things, they brag about things, they joke about things that I find distasteful or unclean. It's awkward, for instance, when all the guys are standing around after a softball game having a beer and telling dirty jokes or joking about cheating on their wives. And uh, everyone's laughing. And, and I don't want to laugh, but I don't want to be the only guy not laughing either. So it's uncomfortable for me. I, I know others who, who have political or, or social views that they strongly and loudly um, share that are uncomfortable or could get messy for me. Or, or I don't know what to say. And so rather than leaning in for the sake of mission, it's tempting to shy away, to just avoid those sorts of situations and those sorts of people. 
Have you ever done that? And so my desire not to be uncomfortable is a barrier inside of me, like it was for Peter in the way of God's mission. And so as, as I've shared before, I, I have, I've had to learn, and I'm still learning, to get comfortable being uncomfortable. We've got to learn to get comfortable being uncomfortable. How about you? What, what barriers are in you? Is, is it your discomfort with those who make you uncomfortable? Is it religious rules that you were taught, like Peter was taught, which were drummed into you but aren't really deeply rooted in Scripture in your case? And they stand in the way of God's mission. They keep you from, from going to certain places or being with certain people. Is it prejudices that you hold? Ma- um, many of us have prejudices, right? We, there, are, there are certain groups of, of people uh, who aren't like us. Um, maybe because of their language or their accent or their skin color or how they dress or their political affiliation, or their orientation, or their religion. Let me ask you, what kinds of barriers will the evangelical church have to overcome to offer grace, to offer an open-hearted welcome, to sit down at a meal, metaphorically or physically speaking, with those on the progressive side of politics and social issues? What barriers are in you? when it comes to God's mission? Or is your barrier just wanting a comfortable life? Not to be stretched too much, not to be stressed, not to be challenged? Because I assure you, following Jesus and following Jesus in his mission will not always be comfortable. It will hurt at times. It will stretch you. It will cost you. It will be hard. Many of you know this already. It's the difference between sitting on the couch and watching Sunday football and being out there on the field, in the cold and the weather, taking hits, muscles burning, lungs aching, body fatigued and bruised. That's what it was like for Peter, for Paul, for Philip, for Tabitha, for Stephen and Acts. That's what it's like for everyone who follows Jesus. Because you can't follow Jesus from your couch or from your pew. Jesus wants us to get into the game, into his mission. And it's not easy. There are roadblocks. There are barriers that we'll run into. And many of them are actually inside of us. Will you, like Peter, let God tear them down? Let's pray. As we pray, I invite you to ask, God, what are you saying to me this morning? Is there a barrier that you're putting your finger on in my heart? God, you broke down every barrier to come and find us. If you hadn't broken down the Peter, the barriers in Peter and the early church, most of us who are not Jewish would not be here today worshiping Jesus. Um, Other people sacrificed 
other people pushed into places of their discomfort in order that your good news could come to us. Thank you. I pray that you would give us the heart of Jesus, that you would give us the convictions of Jesus, that you would make us like Jesus, who touched lepers, who ate with sinners, partied, went to their parties, allowed an unclean woman to kiss his feet, wash his feet with her hair. Tear down the barriers inside of us so that we can better represent you, not just with our words, but with our heart and with our actions in unclean places. Amen.